You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 89. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, as always, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you would like to use Squarespace and get started, there is a free 14-day trial waiting for you at squarespace.com lively. And you can use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we'll be doing a mini interview with Gret McIntosh, an architect and artist, about her experience using Squarespace. And now for a little update about us here in Ann Arbor, we now finally have furniture, which is a really great milestone to be hitting. In addition, one of the exciting things that happened right before I left Austin was I got new headshots by Shaylin Nelson, who's an amazing photographer and person. And I'm trying to decide whether or not to update the cover art for the Lively Show podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Basically, that picture you've seen, perhaps, that is dark brown and black, kind of. I have an updated option that is brighter and very pretty, and I would love to get your feedback. Do you think I should update the cover art, or should I keep it the way it has been so far? I know for myself, some cover art of different podcasts I'm pretty partial to, and I wouldn't really prefer them to change. So I would love to hear from you as a subscriber. Would you like me to update the cover photo, or would you like me to keep it the same? If you'd like to check it out, I think it's important to see what the photo looks like. So I've shared it on Instagram at Jess C as in Cookie Lively. Let me know. Do you prefer the new blue photo or the brown photo that has been the classic so far? Thank you so much for your thoughts on that. And now let's talk about today's episode. So we are still in August mindfulness month for our summer series. And this one is one of my favorite ways to be mindful because it's to me a fresh take on this concept of mindfulness. Instead of thinking of yoga, meditation, ego, intuition, what about our waste? What about becoming more aware and mindful about the decisions we're making that ultimately affect how much trash we're bringing to the curb each week? Today, we're speaking with Bia Johnson of ZeroWasteHome.com. Bia is a mother and wife with a family of four who has decided with her family ever so slightly, ever so subtly to become a zero-waste family. Her family, this is so crazy, guys, they have trash that fits in a mason jar each year. So the total amount of trash that they're bringing to the curb fits in a mason jar once a year. It is totally inspiring to hear her story and also just to kind of question yourself and say, I may not get to a mason jar now or ever, but what are the things we can do that can dramatically decrease the amount of waste we're creating in some way that works for us? So this is not to say that everyone needs to go do this. I'm not saying I'm going to be a zero waste lifestyle anytime soon, but I do believe that there is so much in this that can really help us think about our trash more mindfully and make those steps that may help us to reduce the amount of waste we're creating in this world. Let's go to the show. Bia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. Tell us about how you got started living a zero-waste lifestyle. Well, back in 2006, we were living in a, in a large suburban home, and uh, we kind of got tired of having to drive everywhere. We had to take the car to go to the grocery store, the movie theater, schools, and uh, we decided to relocate uh, just to be closer to a downtown where we could walk to things. 
and uh, before finding the ideal home in that downtown, we rented an apartment and we only moved in with the necessities and we put the rest in storage. And what we found by living with less, all of a sudden we had more time in our hands to do the things that we enjoy doing, uh, spending more time as a family, going on picnics, on hikes. So when we did find the ideal home, uh, in the downtown that interested us, we uh, got everything out of storage and we questioned ourselves about the things we had purchased before. And we realized that a lot of the things that we had stored, we had not missed at all. So we uh, let go of about 80% of our belongings. And then thanks to uh, voluntary simplicity, uh, we were able to educate ourselves on environmental issues turn off the TV, uh, we stopped magazines, catalogs and junk mail, and that opened time to watch documentaries and read some books on environmental issues. What we discovered really made us sad, thinking about the future that we were going to leave behind for our kids. That gave us the impetus to change our consumption habits. My husband quit his job to start a sustainability consulting company, and I tackled the home. And uh, little by little, we uh, really attacked our waste, reducing it to uh, a liter or a quart-sized jar of waste per year. That is incredible. So how old were your children when you got started with this? I think they were about six or seven. What city were you in specifically that you were in as a suburban lifestyle? And what was the new city you moved to? Or did you just go closer to the city you were already in? The first home was 30 minutes east of San Francisco, and the new home is about 15 minutes north of San Francisco. Uh, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but uh, the culture in the two towns are very different. I love that you put this stuff in storage. As I'm speaking to you right now, I'm going on maybe nine days <laughs> of not having anything but an air mattress. As I'm talking to you, I'm in a closet recording this episode, sitting on a suitcase, and my computer and mic is resting on the dog crate. So, <laughs> so right now, I'm literally living a version of what you just described with having a lot of things in storage. How long did you live without the stuff? It took us about a year to find the ideal home. So we rented the apartment with only the necessities for a year. And uh, we've been minimalists, I would say, ever since. You said you got rid of 80%. What were the 20% that you kept? The 20% that we kept are the things that we truly use and truly need. We used to have four tables and 26 chairs. Today we have one table and six chairs. We used to have different sets of dishes or china. Uh, today we just have one. We kept uh, one that is simple, that can accommodate uh, lots of different types of events because it's a white set, so we can go from uh, Christmas to a birthday party. And we've let go of a lot of clothes. I very much enjoy fashion, but not fast fashion. I describe fashion rather as a sense of style. And today my wardrobe fits in a carry-on. People tend to think that the more clothes we have, the more options we have. But I find that it's the complete opposite because when you only keep 20% of your wardrobe, you end up picking just the items that uh, you truly love and uh, wear. And everyone knows really what their 20% are. Everyone wears the same clothes over and over again. And the other 80% are uh, generally 
kept for the what if. What if I have a wedding to go to? What if I gain weight? What if I lose weight? Uh, what if uh, I need it for a special occasion? Anyways, there is lots of different reasons why we keep the other 80%, but uh, I find it very freeing to have let go of those 80% and only have the 20 what I have read in America has kind of led me to believe that the French women have beautiful clothes, but they don't have many. Is that something that is distinctly French or is that not really the case? Well, believe me, not everyone in France can put their whole wardrobe in a carry-on. That said, um, yeah, I think in general, uh, in Europe, people tend to live a, a simpler life. Although I have noticed, uh, I've lived in the U.S. since 92, and I find that every year that I go back to France, people are more and more interested in uh, consuming more. I can also notice a, uh, in a way a shift in the U.S. and a shift over there. So I hope they've uh, reached a level of consumption uh, where they find that it's not bringing them any happiness. And uh, living simply actually allows uh, opens time in your life to live more and uh, live more experiences and enjoy life. Yeah. So it wasn't your European background that helped make this choice. It really just was you guys living for one year with less stuff that that experience proved to be so valuable for you. Exactly. I mean, when I first came to the U.S., I wanted the quote American dream. And to me, that meant having more stuff and uh, large SUVs and uh, and a pond. And (laughs) (laughs) you had a pond. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) With koi fish in it. And uh, that also meant that I, you know, having a large refrigerator because we don't have them in Europe. But over time, I realized that all these things weren't bringing me any, you know, happiness. Letting go of them has actually been just an epiphany. Did you go whole hog (laughs) with the zero waste lifestyle when you pulled everything out and donated it in terms of actually reducing the day-to-day waste? Because it's one thing to reduce your possessions in terms of your home and your wardrobe, but then the day-to-day trash that accumulates from food and packaged goods like contact solution, for example, and those kinds of things. How did you handle eliminating the waste in a daily basis? what we did there actually even decluttering the amount of things that we were buying from day to day let's say food uh, we ended up instead of having lots of different types of foods we've uh, elected staples so instead of having four different types of pasta in my pantry today I only have one type and when I'm done with that one type then I'll purchase a different type so it's a way to keep variety in your diet without having to hold lots of different types of food I explained that very specifically in my book. I explained the staples we've elected and how we keep this rotating in our pantry. Uh, As far as makeup, for example, I used to have a lot of different types of makeup, different types of shampoo. When I simplified my life, I uh, elected my essentials. I realized that there was no point for me to have lipstick because I've always done the smoky eye and I don't like wearing both at the same time. I feel like I look like a clown if I do both. So... Uh, I let go of my lipsticks and I uh, stuck with the smoky eyes. So today my makeup is just a black coal powder, mascara, a lip balm and a bronzer. And all these things I make from bulk items that I can purchase at the grocery store. So for example, the black coal that I use on my eyes to make the smoky eye is simply almonds that I burn and then I add a little bit of oil to it. My lip balm is just beeswax and cooking oil. And then on my cheeks, 
to add color, such as a bronzer. I simply use cocoa powder, which I purchased straight from the bulk bins at the grocery store. So to fill that little jar of cocoa powder, actually, it cost me only $2. And there is no way that I could have done that with a regular type bronzer. Yeah. So what you're describing is a huge amount of savings in life in all different ways. Have you noticed that you guys have saved incrementally way more money this way? Well, yes. Uh, My husband was actually not uh, fully on board at first when I started doing Zero Waste. Uh, He thought that it was going to cost us too much because we were shopping at the health food store and going to the farmer's market. Um, So he kept saying, you know, we just have to be more careful here. We just, uh, you know, it sounds like it's really expensive. So I urged him to compare our bank statements uh, between our pre-zero waste lifestyle with the zero waste lifestyle. And that's when he found that we were saving 40% on our overall spending. This is due to the fact that, one, we consume way, way, way less than we used to before. Uh, We're no longer adding things to our home. We're only replacing what needs to be replaced. So, for example, a a T-shirt that has a hole in it, a pair of shoes that has a hole in it. And then when we purchase a replacement, we buy it secondhand, which by definition is also cheaper. Then we also purchase our food in bulk. Uh, we actually, the only food that we purchase packaged is butter, but everything else we buy in bulk. And when you buy food that is packaged, you have to think about the fact that 15% of the price actually covers the cost of the packaging. So when you buy in bulk, you automatically make a 15% savings. And finally, we've replaced anything that's disposable for a reusable alternative. So we no longer buy paper towels, we've replaced them with rags. We've uh, replaced facial tissue with uh, handkerchiefs. Uh, We no longer buy aluminum foil, plastic wraps, Ziploc bags, wax paper, sandwich baggies, uh, trash bags. The list is huge. And uh, simply because we've replaced all these things for reusable alternatives, uh, these things translate into uh, cumulative savings over time. And these savings have even allowed us to install solar on our home, which then creates even more savings. Do you use the money in different ways now than you used to? Definitely. Our money is no longer spent buying things that you throw away. Because when you buy something that you throw away, you're basically investing your money in the landfill. You're literally throwing your money away. What we've done instead is replaced all those disposables for reusable alternatives. So that means that we can invest our money elsewhere. Instead of buying disposables, we spend on experiences and activities, things that bring more joy in life and things that create memories that last a lifetime. One of the things that you said is your husband wasn't immediately on board. So it sounded like you were gung-ho about this early on and you had to kind of bring the family with you. What got you personally so excited about the zero waste lifestyle outside of, I'm going to get rid of the stuff in the shipping and storage containers? What really got me excited about embarking on this lifestyle was just out of wanting a better future for my kids. It's that simple. Uh, When I realized how the environment was doing and what the future looked like, then it really gave me uh, the impetus, the strength to, uh, to change our ways just for wanting a better future for my kids. And were you inspired by anyone who had done this before or were you feeling like a pioneer in this space? Definitely a pioneer. Uh, no one really else had done this before. 
I had found the term zero waste uh, just by uh, going online. I was trying to reduce my waste and I found the term zero waste, which back then was used to describe manufacturing practices. It was used in the waste management industry, but not really applied within the domestic realm. That's why we kind of had to do a lot of testings. Uh, we had to try a lot of things. The path was not really paved. Uh, so I ended up Googling a lot of the uh, alternatives that we use today. I tested a ton of things. We went through extremes where at one point I was making my own butter, my own cheese, my own bread, my own soy milk, until I found that making all these things was not sustainable for us in the long run. You know, I had a full-time job and I could not see myself doing this forever. Today, the only things that I home make are uh, the things that I cannot find in bulk. It really boils down to my makeup. That's it. How do you handle going out to eat? So when we go out to eat, I, well, I tell people that buying is voting, just as dining is voting. So every time you purchase something, it's a way to reinforce either a practice that is sustainable or one that is not sustainable. So if you're going to buy plastics, it's a way for you to say, I love plastics and I want a world filled with plastics for my children. If you go to a fast food restaurant, it's a way for you to say, I love fast foods and I want fast food restaurants to uh, flourish. So uh, when we eat out, we uh, choose a restaurant that is a sit down and we'll pick a restaurant that has real plates, real silverware. We don't support the ones that only serve in disposables. How have you changed as a person as a result of this over the last nine years? Well, I would say that the zero waste lifestyle is nothing that I would have expected it to be. I used to be an artist before being a zero-waste lifestyle expert, and not only has zero-waste allowed me to be more creative in my life, uh, it's made my creativity flourish simply from the fact that I had to try and uh, be open to new alternatives, uh, but also it's made me realize that life is not about stuff. Uh, life is about spending more time with your family, spending more time with your friends, and living a life based on experiences. What do your neighbors back with the Koi Pond and the big SUVs in that other subdivision, what do they think of this? Have you kept in touch with those people? No, not really. We just, uh, so I don't know what, there is actually one girlfriend that I had over there that I've kept in touch with. I mean, she's really amazed at what I've been able to accomplish, uh, not only at home, but also throughout the world. Since I launched my blog and uh, wrote my book, the Zero Waste Lifestyle has been adopted everywhere in the world. I have today thousands and thousands of followers, people that have embraced the Zero Waste Lifestyle uh, really throughout the world. It's also inspired uh, many Zero Waste stores to open everywhere. I have to say I'm really proud of what I've been able to accomplish, but also humbled by how big it's gotten. And uh, my girlfriends uh, back to, uh, you know, where I used to live are just as amazed as I am. And how about your family? Have they gone on board? Are they along with you for the ride, the extended family? The extended family has, of course, at first was very doubtful about what we were doing. They had a lot of questions. But over time, as they saw that we were living better this way, they uh, embraced it themselves. 
I can't say that they generate just a, a jar of waste per year, but my mom, for example, has gone on her city council, or she's one of the city council members, and she's implemented composting for her town. Uh, she gives presentations also about composting and recycling uh, in the local schools. My little brother has uh, changed his job to be uh, within the waste management industry. And my older brother has uh, he's kind of becoming a homemaker somehow. <laughs> he, uh, he has his own bees. I mean, he makes his own honey with bees. And he lives in Paris. He grows vegetables and uh, he makes his own smoked salmon and beer. So uh, everyone has kind of picked up some ideas from the things that we've applied to in our life. And I'd love to hear more about your children. So I can imagine if they're six and seven when they got into this and now they're in their teen years, do they ever rebel against this and try to be like the rest of, quote unquote, the people they might have gone to school with that weren't living this way? The thing is, our kids have lived longer without waste than they have with waste. And uh, when I started the blog, people said, oh, you'll see it will be much harder when they are teenagers. But I found it's not the case because kids, when they're young, they accept the way they live or the way they're raised. So what we do for them is completely natural. And it's not like we really adopted zero waste at once. It's not like we made it, um, you know, a short-term challenge and it was very disturbing for the household. We implemented all these things because we didn't know we were going towards zero waste. We implemented alternatives very slowly and it just kind of became part of what we do at home. And the kids just don't question that uh, because they were young. Today, they understand that what we do is different because, you know, we've obviously had a lot of interest around our lifestyle. We've had about 40 different TV crews come through our house. So the kids are kind of tired of that. <laughs> but to them, what we do is completely normal. And uh, their friends don't judge them either. They don't necessarily know that we do zero waste because they don't need to know. My kids are dressed just as I am, secondhand from head to toe. But, you know, when you look at us, you couldn't tell. Unless their friends open our pantry and refrigerator, they won't notice that we don't buy packaging. They'll be welcome in our home just as they're welcome elsewhere with a uh, plate of cookies and a glass of milk. When it comes to grocery shopping, that is a question I have. So what materials are you using to gather your bulk items? So I go to the grocery store with a shopping kit, and the shopping kit contains a few totes. I actually have three because we've reduced them. We don't need a ton of totes. We just need three. In uh, the totes, I have cloth bags that I have made from old sheets to buy all our food from the bulk bins. Uh, anything that is dry will go in those cloth bags, and then I will transfer them in glass jars uh, once at home. I also go to the grocery store with glass containers, such as uh, mason jars, for anything that is wet, such as uh, fish, meat, cheese, deli, olive oil, peanut butter, and I've elected a grocery store that allows me to bring my containers and also that offers a nice selection of bulk items. Yeah, I was just thinking about that seafood going into the jar. So they have to be okay with you bringing it and then weighing it separately, etc. Yeah, but that's really something that's become more and more popular thanks to the blog. And people are now doing it all over the U.S. with no problem. 
What's been the hardest thing to adapt to the zero waste lifestyle as you got into it further? I would say that the hardest thing for us was to find our balance because as I was saying earlier, I got a little bit too excited with homemaking at first. I think it was very enlightening to realize that a lot of the things that I was used to buying could actually be made from scratch. For example, when I ran out of mustard, instead of buying mustard, I just thought, well, I wonder if I can make mustard. And I found that you can indeed make mustard. So then I got excited about trying to make mustard, but then yogurt, but then cheese. But over time, that's when I realized that I was just doing too much and it was just not uh, sustainable. It was not something I could do in the long term. Today, all the alternatives that we're doing are easy enough that we can see ourselves doing it for the rest of our lives. So now you would just not buy mustard, I think, from what you've shared, because you only buy packaged butter. So today I would either make mustard or purchase it in bulk. And I have indeed found a little French grocery store, a local grocery store that sells mustard in bulk. And then how does recycling factor into this? For example, I have contacts that are disposable. So maybe I guess you would say just use glasses instead of contacts altogether, but they come in these little plastic containers. If I recycle those, is that still a zero waste lifestyle? Well, zero waste is not about recycling more. It's about recycling less. So for the things that are essentials, you do sometimes have to recycle. So today we actually recycle way, way less than we used to before. Uh, because we do waste prevention in the first place. And I'll be talking about my five hours maybe later, but the first three rules of the zero waste lifestyle is to refuse first, reduce second, and reuse third. So by the time you get to recycling, you have little to recycle. So in the case of the contact lenses, my husband has a really bad vision and he does need to wear contacts and glasses on top. He does buy contact lenses He's picked a brand where the packaging is actually recyclable. And with this lifestyle, you actually learn what's recyclable and what's not. And I would actually urge people that are interested in this lifestyle to take a tour of their local recycling facility. It's really an eye-opener. Is it eye-opening in that more things can be recycled than you imagine or less? I would say more in a way. Uh, but then you'll see that, for example, the glass, when you throw a glass bottle in the recycling, you'll see that by the time it gets to the recycling center, it doesn't no longer looks like a glass bottle. I mean, it's just shattered in hundreds of pieces. Everyone has to adapt the zero waste lifestyle to their own regional restrictions, to their uh, schedule and to their own possibilities. I didn't do it overnight. I don't expect anyone to do it overnight. And uh, it's up to everyone to adopt it to their own levels. Exactly. So now I would like to actually have you break it down into three levels, the baby steps and then maybe the medium steps and then the larger steps. What are the easiest things we can do to start reducing our waste first? So like I mentioned, the zero waste lifestyle is really based on five rules. Number one is to refuse the things that we do not need. Number two is to reduce the things that we do need. Number three is to reuse by buying secondhand and by swapping anything that's disposable for a reusable alternative. Number four is to recycle only what you cannot refuse, reduce, or reuse. And lastly, it's rot, uh, which is compost, so we compost the rest. So the first rule is simply to refuse. 
refuse the things that you do not need. Today, in this consumerist society, we are the targets of many promotional goods. But every time we accept something that we do not need, we are basically condoning the practice. We are supporting a practice that is either sustainable or unsustainable. So every time we take a free plastic bag or a free plastic pen from a conference or party favors that we're going to bring home, they're going to break, the kids will cry, and then we'll have to throw it out. Every time we take those things, we're creating a demand to make more. We're basically asking that more oil be drilled from the ground to create a replacement. So it is important to think twice about bringing anything into your home and you'll see that it will have a great impact on how much clutter you can stop from coming in in the first place. Is there anything that was a really easy one for you to do first? Well, let me say the hardest is junk mail. Every time you put junk mail straight from your mailbox into your recycling can, it's a way for you to say, I love junk mail, please send me more and more will be sent out to you. So junk mail is difficult. Today, I no longer receive any, but I can say it took a while to get there. It took a few steps and I described those in the book. I would say the easiest is the flyers that are handed out on the street or, you know, the plastic pens that are just given out if you go to a conference. The thing is, I think everyone has enough plastic pens to last them a lifetime in their homes. Who really needs a new one? (laughs) Can you give us a tip on the junk mail? Because I selfishly would love to stop getting junk mail. Well, there are a few things you can do. Either you can pay a service or you can do it yourself. I've done it myself. I really wanted to go through the process. The first step you can take to do it yourself would be to go on catalogchoice.org and you can take your name off of certain catalogs that you're receiving. Then you can also go on pre-opt-out screen and dmachoice.org. And these will stop a lot of the credit card offers, a lot of the direct mails. And then it gets a little trickier for companies uh, who have your information. And for those, especially if they send you a letter that is pre-sorted class, then you have to contact them directly and request that they do not use, but also do not rent, sell or trade your info uh, because otherwise you'll get more junk mail anyways. And what about level two things? Is there any kind of medium level things that you did after you did the first easier steps? The level two would be reduce. So if you let go of the things that you do not really need, it will make your zero waste easier. Uh, when you have less, obviously you have less to maintain, but also less will break. You'll have less to repair. Decluttering and letting go of the things that you do not truly really need allow you to share with the community valuable resources because things, stuff, are valuable resources in themselves. Now, we're not talking just natural resources. We're talking also about the resources we already have and have manufactured. So when you let go of them, you put them back on the market, you boost the secondhand market, which is very important for the future of zero waste. And what about step three stuff? Step three is to look at anything in your home that is disposable and swapping it for something that is reusable. Sometimes it requires a little bit of an investment. But just think about the savings that you'll be uh, accumulating over time if you eliminate anything that's disposable. An easy one is just simply to eliminate the paper towel and uh, have rags instead. Eliminate the uh, facial tissues and embrace handkerchiefs. You might be weird at first, but uh, you'll get used to it. Any other investments? The one that I really wish 
and I beat myself for not having known about it before, is the menstrual cup. Instead of tampons, I use a menstrual cup. And I have to say that the savings are humongous. It's not complicated to use. It's actually very freeing to be able to go on vacation and only take a cup instead of like a huge pack of disposables. Actually, I have a friend of mine who is talking about that and sharing that with me. I have a girlfriend who's doing zero waste. She said she had some issues with that, but I think it's up to Again, everyone to adopt the things that feel comfortable and that they can see themselves doing for the rest of their lives. My girlfriend has issues with the cup. I really don't. It's really one of the things that's top on my list that I really wish that I had done earlier. What doubts or resistance are you currently facing in your life right now? And it can be outside of the zero waste lifestyle. The resistance really I'm getting actually is from people that criticize my lifestyle. When I started sharing my lifestyle with mainstream, we got a ton and a ton of criticism. But over time, as we showed how we live, people realized that we were not hippies or granolas or living in the woods and are not a stay-at-home mom that spends her days uh, working on reducing our waste, but that we are living a modern life that is simple, but filled with uh, joy and experiences. But along the way, the criticism have uh, gone away. You know, we've been really able to prove that the zero waste lifestyle is nothing that people would imagine. It's nothing that I would have imagined myself. But the criticisms that still stay alive today are the ones that come from uh, the vegan community. I think the vegan community tends to think that uh, greenest family on earth. We've never stated that. We've never expressed that we were trying to be the greenest people. We're not the greenest. We still fly. We have a car and we do eat meat. Uh, we have reduced our meat consumption and I've really questioned my meat consumption and my uh, fish consumption, but we're not able to eliminate it altogether. We feel comfortable with the amount that we eat. We eat it just once a week and we're comfortable with where our meat comes from. What I am really trying to convey today is that Jewish lifestyle is not like black or white for everyone, and it could include vegans and non-vegans. Yeah, that's really interesting to think of the people criticizing you for not doing enough rather than doing too much. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of that. People were said that we were doing too much uh, because we don't eat at fast food joints. People said we're not doing enough because we use toilet paper, uh, we fly to visit my family in France, uh, we have a car, and we eat meat once a week. <laughs> so you're getting resistance on both sides, people saying you're doing too much and that you're not doing enough. Exactly, and that's where I realized that we must be doing something right. If we're right in the middle and it feels right to us. What would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I would say don't be afraid of the zero-waste lifestyle. It's nothing that you think it might be. Be open, have a, an open mind to it, and embrace it slowly but surely. And you'll see that uh, you'll find a life that is much richer than the one you used to have. And uh, you'll see the bonds with your family and your friends get stronger, and memories become more vivid, and your life will definitely change but not for the worse, for the better. Thank you so much, Bia. You are an amazing person. And it, this has been incredibly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. 
And there you have it. Thank you, Bia, so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Bia a message, I think the best way to do that would be on Instagram. She's at Zero Waste Home. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Colby Jack Cheese Lively. And now for the show notes. If you are looking for the links like the junk mail opt-out websites that Bia mentioned, go over to the show notes for those links. That page is JessLively.com slash Bia Johnson. And of course, before I share who's coming up next week on The Lively Show to round out our August Mindfulness Month, let's talk with Gret McIntosh about her Squarespace experience and advice. Gret, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jess. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Well, I'm originally from North Carolina, moved to Charleston, South Carolina about 10 years ago. I am both a landscape architect and a painter. My painting business has spurred out of a painting I did of my dog years back that a pest control person that was working on my house saw through the window and asked after that if I could trade a painting of their pets for my pest control services. And from then, it just kind of organically turned into what it is today. I've got a few paintings around Charleston and some vet clinics and such. And through word of mouth, I've just been getting more and more business. So you have a pretty interesting story about how you got to Squarespace. I do. Um, Earlier this year, I kind of came to a crossroads where the girl that was helping me with my website was no longer able to assist me, which was actually great timing for me because I was starting to feel frustrated by the fact that I couldn't upload anything myself and all these little changes and tweaks that I found myself wanting to make but not able to get done as fast as I wanted them to be implemented. So I started to have a few meetings around town with some design firms that I really loved their work. And after the first meeting, the pricing blew me out of the water. I didn't have that much money set aside for my web design, so it stalled me for a little while, and I wasn't quite sure what avenue to take. Decided to talk to another firm And after getting a high quote from them and through email back and forth with one of the girls that worked there, she suggested I look into Squarespace, which was an amazing tip from her. So kudos to her for giving me that inside scoop. I went to Squarespace that night, looked at the uh, available templates, couldn't believe how great they were. Up until that point, I'd been really adamant about not going through um, something that was a template-based design where I had to do it myself because I just hadn't seen anything that I thought that that was that impressive. I was so excited about the options that Squarespace gave. I started immediately and for the next two weeks during my free trial period, in any spare moment I had, I was here sitting at my computer, pulling all my art images and stuff together and Within three weeks, my website was up and running and so much better than it previously was and all for 20 bucks, basically. That's incredible. What's your favorite thing about Squarespace? How user-friendly it is, how easy it is to update. I think of things for the moment or I read things on other people's websites and different things that give me new ideas and ways to show things on my website or wording. And just the fact that their their help is amazing. If they don't have the answers already there in print for you, you can email them. They'll get back to you so quickly. I just couldn't be happier with the tools it gives you and the convenience of it. 
That's amazing. And for anyone else that wants to get started, you can do so by going over to squarespace.com lively and also enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off your service. So Gret, where can people find you online? GretMcIntosh.com. G-R-E-T-M-A-C-K-I-N-T-O-S-H. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. And now for a sneak peek, we are wrapping up Mindfulness Month with Jada Selner of SimpleGreenSmoothies.com. Jada is very well known as well as her co-founder, Jen Hansard. We'll be talking about how they have decided to incorporate smoothies into their diet to be slightly more mindful. They're not crazy over the top about overhauling your diet in every single direction, in every single way necessarily. They're all about making simple, healthful changes one step at a time. In addition, we're also going to be talking about her favorite social media and marketing tips. Hint, it involves a dance floor, your bedroom, and your email list. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 